Good morning, church. Thank you, Brock and Julia, and especially Lincoln, for scripture. You may have noticed a theme in those passages that we're going to look at this morning. I want to let you know that um, back probably a couple of months ago, probably early March, uh, when a lot of conversations, some of the things that Bruce shared about this morning as we as leadership were together and we're looking at different things coming up. And I knew that there was a, probably a possibility that Bryce and his family might be gone. Again, this is back beginning of March. And for some strange reason, I threw out this offer to preach if it was desperately needed and Bryce needed to be gone. I'm not sure why I did that. Uh, a lot of things have happened since early March, and life has gone on, and we've been very busy and a lot of time in prayer about a lot of things. And then a couple of weeks ago, I get this message from Bryce that says, Hey, Roger, do you remember, you know, way back in March, you kind of mentioned that if really needed, you could maybe preach on the 22nd? And, of course, I'm like, Bryce, who? Is this, is this spam? Is this um, who? What? I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, obviously, that's not the case, and uh, I am here this morning. Bryce and his family have had a family trip planned for quite some time, and we are thankful they were able to do that uh, with some of Whitney's family and spend time together. And we uh, have no fear, though. Bryce will be back next week. Um, when I first made that offer, though, a thought was in my mind about if I, if I were to speak, what would I speak on? And just in my own personal life, a lot of things that have, uh, I guess, that I've kind of latched onto is this idea of seeking the face of God. It really intrigues me as far as the, what, what that means and why the face of God. The events happening since I made that offer and had that initial thought in my head was, as Bruce has shared, we've spent a lot of time as leadership in prayer together and, and, and thinking about the the future of our church family and where we go and where is God leading us. And I thought that, you know, that really ties into seeking the face of God. As we journey through that process, I want to share maybe just a few simple reminders of what that might look like for us as a church family and for us as individuals. And I want to look at that through the context of seeking the face of God through experiencing God. So the passages that Brock and Julie read this morning uh, as well as many other verses in Scripture, talk about seeking God's face. And I just wonder, is there a deeper call to that? Why is it that we're called to seek the face of God? And I'll admit, in my personal study, if I try to get into a topic like this, I can make it very complicated in my human brain and my human logic. You know, for me, things need to line up just right. I need All the pieces need to fit together so I can see it perfectly and clearly. And that's not always the way it works in God's Word. It's one of the reasons we're called to have faith. Hopefully I will simplify things a little bit and you won't see all the stuff that's gone on in my head up until now, this morning, and I can speak clearly. But the, hopefully the, the simple things that I share this morning uh, will be reminders for us. I know it's a reminder for me in my personal faith walk and I think if we intentionally apply some of these things, it might just change our lives. So have you ever seen someone from behind? You're in a crowd and there's someone up in front of you and it's like, oh, there's John. You see him from the back and you, hey, John, John. 
And John turns around, and it's not John. You ever done that? My reaction would probably be, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> thought you were somebody else. Sorry about that. <laughs> Have a great day. Or sometimes my reaction might be, wow, somebody's calling John. Who was that? I, I don't know. Have you maybe even seen a small child? I've seen it here in our church facility at times where there's a crowd and the adults are all around and a small, the kids are running around playing and all of a sudden one small child maybe gets a little upset, something happened, runs over and grabs the leg of her dad. She's holding on tight or she grabs his hand and she looks up and the person looks down and it's not her dad. You ever seen that? What's the reaction typically there? Well, depending on the kid and the circumstances, it might just be kind of a, I and runs off to find dad, or it could be a breakdown. But you know, the simple thing in that is, what was it that caused you when you thought you knew somebody, you thought you saw somebody, that changed and you realized it was not who you thought it was? It was simply when you saw their face. You know, facial recognition, interestingly enough, in today's world is really a thing. Folks my age or older, probably when we were younger, thought things like that we see today were like science fiction. You know, facial recognition is used if you've got a, a newer model of an iPhone, that's how you unlock your phone, right? Through facial recognition. Things like Facebook has used facial recognition for years of just tagging your photos and suggesting. You want to go tag a photo, it's going to suggest, and usually it'll have right there at the top of the list who that person actually is because it has recognized their photo that has been tagged before. Marketing companies use facial recognition to gauge the reaction of customers to certain products. Certainly law enforcement uses facial recognition to find missing persons, to track down criminals. And the whole idea of facial recognition and that closeness and what is involved in that is just interesting to me. You know, the technology of that is a camera detects an image of a face. That image is captured and it's analyzed. The software reads the geometry of the face. The key factors would include the distance between your eyes, the depth of your eye sockets, the distance from your forehead to your chin, the shape of your cheekbones, the contour of the lips, the ears, the chin. The aim is to identify facial landmarks that are key to distinguishing your face. When it takes that information, it takes that data, that analog information, which is your face, and it puts it into a set of digital information called data based on your facial features. Your face's analysis is essentially turned into a mathematical formula, and the numerical code is called your face print. Same way that we have thumbprints that are unique to each of us, or an iris in your eye is unique to you, so is your face print. And of all the biometric measurements, facial recognition is considered the most natural. Intuitively, it makes sense because simply, simply we typically recognize ourselves and others by looking at faces rather than thumbprints. Scripture. We're going to look at a lot of Scripture this morning. There are, there are different interpretations and uses of the term the face of God in Scripture. In some cases, it may mean favor or presence or attention. So in Psalm 31, 16, David says, Let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. It could be used as a sign of God's disfavor. 
such as Psalm 13, 1, when David again cries out, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? But seeking the face of God calls for action on our part. It's not about asking God to show us favor, although certainly we seek God's favor. But how do we come to recognize God? How are we sure it is God when we seek Him? When we call out to Him, how do we get to the place where we can see His face and know that it is God? In simple terms, I would like to just use uh, the idea of experiencing God in one way that we recognize God. There's a book by Henry Blackaby called Experiencing God. Some of you may have seen that. You may have used this study before. It's been around for a long time and updated over the years. And in this book, Experiencing God, Knowing and Doing the Will of God, Henry Blackaby shares four ways that the Holy Spirit reveals God to us, and that would be through the Bible, through prayer, circumstances of life, and through the church. That is how God will reveal himself and his purposes and his ways to us. So as Bryce has taken us through the book of Acts for the last three weeks and church on mission, I wanted to go to Acts and find specific examples maybe that tie into the ways we experience God through these four avenues. First, the Bible, a passage I've always appreciated and loved and challenged myself with. Paul has been preaching in Thessalonica. Things have not gone so great. He moves on to Berea. And Acts 17.11 says, Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. So the Berean Jews did not just take Paul's word for what he was saying. They searched the Scriptures because the truth of God is revealed in Scripture. In Acts 2, we read the familiar passage concerning how the church devoted themselves uh, to the apostles' teaching. In Acts 8, we read of the story of Philip being called to the Ethiopian eunuch who is reading from Isaiah, and he tells him the message of the Messiah, what that prophecy was speaking to. Hebrews 4.12 just simply reminds us that the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The Word of God reveals God and changes us. And we experience God through time in His Word. Prayer. Examples of prayer all throughout the the book of Acts in the church. But I want to focus on Acts chapter 10. Here we read of the Gentile named Cornelius, who's a God-fearing man who prayed to God regularly. And one day, around three o'clock in the afternoon, he saw an angel of the Lord in a vision telling him to send men to go find Peter. Well, so happens about noon the next day, we find Peter going up on a roof to pray. And while he's there, he falls into a trance. Peter then hears a voice that tells him, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. As Peter spends time contemplating these things and what he has heard, the men that Cornelius sent show up at his door. 
You may remember this, the trance and the visions that Peter sees as the sheep coming down full of unclean animals. And what I took away from that was, here are two men who spend time in prayer regularly, a Gentile and a Jew. But prayer is not always about us seeking God and His help. I read an article that was shared with me that was very interesting, is that sometimes we tend to focus on seeking the hand of God. We search for God's hand to help us. We search for God's hand to get us through particular situations. We seek God's hand in straightening out that person that wronged us sometimes. Sometimes we seek God's help, and there's nothing wrong with that, but you know what? It might be that we need to seek God's face first before we seek His hand. And these men, in their time of prayer, it was not just about speaking to God and asking God for needs, there was a time of listening for these two men in their time of prayer. Whatever that looked like, however we envision this angel of the Lord that appears to Cornelius, I don't know physically what that looked like, but he did. And Cornelius listened. Peter goes into a trance during his time of prayer, and essentially the result is he listens to God in his time of prayer. Prayer, God reveals himself to us through prayer. And we certainly cry out to God. David is examples of that all through scripture. And God wants to hear from us. But we need to remember to listen to him. Circumstances. How does God reveal himself through the Holy Spirit through circumstances in our lives? A couple of examples again from the book of Acts that I'd like to share is Acts chapter 16. Again, a very interesting scenario that happens here when Paul is on his missionary journey. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia and tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. I'm not sure, again, what those situations look like. Sometimes in my mind, I'm thinking when the Spirit stopped them from going to Asia or the Spirit of Jesus kept them from going into Bithynia, what did that look like? Was it just a wall that they ran into, you know, you're a mime, and you're like, I can't get through? Were there circumstances that happened? Was it just an internal speaking of the Spirit that happened inside them that led them away? I don't know. But I'm convinced that because these were men on mission, seeking God in everything they did, whatever the circumstances were that were happening around them, it was the Spirit leading them to where God was calling them. And it may not have been exactly where they thought it was supposed to be. Acts chapter 7, we read of the stoning of Stephen, as we know as the first Christian martyr, as he recounts Israel's history and he points to that history leading to Jesus, the Messiah. And he's stoned to death for that. And then in Acts chapter 8, we see that on On that day, a great persecution 
broke out against the church in Jerusalem the day that Stephen was killed. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Persecution. We've probably never experienced the type of persecution these early Christians were going through, early followers of the way. It's just interesting to me, and you've probably noticed this before, they're in Jerusalem, and if we go back to Acts chapter 1, just before Jesus ascends into heaven, he says, it is not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I can imagine if you were sitting at the feet of Jesus and he's telling you this, so you're, you're understanding when are these going to happen, and it's, it's, it's the Father is the only one who knows. But when it happens, the Spirit's going to come on you and you will know. And you're going to stay in Jerusalem, and then you'll go to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I just imagine those disciples that were at the feet of Jesus at that time probably were not thinking, okay, the Spirit's going to come on us, Jerusalem, we're going to spread the word, and then we're going to scatter and go to Judea and Samaria. They probably were not thinking, okay, we're going to start getting killed, we're going to start getting dragged into prison, now's the time to go to Judea and Samaria. Probably was not on their radar. The circumstances of life, but despite that persecution, despite the murders that happened, they scattered, probably to save their lives, but they didn't hide. They were still seeking God in the circumstances that were happening around them, which were not ideal circumstances. But as they scattered, they got to Judea and Samaria, and they preached the word. The last avenue is church. Could go on probably for a couple of hours talking about how the church experienced God together throughout the book of Acts. I just flipped through the passages, and basically what we see in Acts is the church being devoted to godly teaching and fellowship, breaking bread together in their homes, praying together, baptizing each other, sharing their possessions and money so that no one was in need. They prayed earnestly for Peter while he was in prison. They laid hands on disciples and sent them to the mission field. They worked out their differences over feeding widows in Jewish and Gentile traditions. They strengthened each other. They wept together, enjoyed times of peace together, persevered through times of trial and persecution together. They experienced the Holy Spirit in powerful ways. Clearly, the church experienced God together. Now, there's one passage about the face of God that has always puzzled me. As I think about drawing near to God and how do we experience God and seek His face, not just Him, but up close, I come to this story in Exodus chapter 33, which has always just thrown me off in this subject. And here's where my linear brain tries to make everything line up. I would encourage you, 
Go home and read the whole chapter of Exodus 33. We're just going to touch base on three verses here. It's a really interesting scenario that's happening. But this is when Moses asked God to show him his glory. Moses says to God, show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all of my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. So what about all these passages we've read about seeking the face of God? And God says to Moses, who is someone he really talked to on a regular basis, you can't see my face and live. And then it hit me. I could be taking the context of Moses and God in that particular scene a little out of context, but I believe maybe this idea fits into the the whole of Scripture. If we really seek the face of God, we will die. The closer we get to God and the more intimate our relationship with Him develops, the more our old self will die and the more Christ-like we will become. We die to our old self and become a new creation when we seek the face of God. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, and that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. There's a simple but beautiful picture that I read in a book by Dr. Charles Stanley in his book, In Step With God. You know, a favorite hobby of Dr. Stanley is photography, especially in nature. These happen not to be his pictures, but my illustrations. He loves to take, he, or he speaks about taking uh, pictures of mountains and glaciers, enormous redwood trees, fields of wildflowers, and many other things, just experiencing the grandeur of God in nature in his photography. But then he writes in his book, then I trained myself to move closer to my subject and an entirely different world opened before me. I began to see another side of God's beauty. Instead of photographing a whole whole field of flowers, I got inside just one. I saw the most awesome thing God's delicate, intricate, detailed creation. And the same is true about knowing Him, only on a much grander scale. The closer we get to Him, the better we understand His ways. While our knowledge of God is limited, the closer we become to Him, the more understanding we will gain. If we hold God at a distance, we will never know the way He operates, thinks, or loves. So how does your life reflect the intensity of your journey in seeking God. Do you stand back and see Him at a distance like a field of wildflowers and enjoy the beauty? 
Or do you get up close to God and see Him much clearer and in greater detail? True joy will only come when we are in the presence of God. The closer we get to God and His holiness, the more we will want of God and His holiness. As a church, we want to seek God's face. We want to draw near to Him and recognize Him in our lives. We want to go through these four avenues and we want to spend time dwelling in His Word together. We want to spend time in prayer together and listening to God as He leads us. We want to share our life experiences together and how we have seen the face of God in the circumstances of our lives outside of these walls. We want to recognize the face of God in every member of this family and every aspect of what we do together as church. And this will only happen as a church family when we as individuals die to ourselves and seek the face of God through an up-close and intimate relationship with Him. Let us not just be a church that seeks God, but a church that seeks the face of God. We're going to stand and sing in just a moment. I want to remind you that the shepherds and ministers of this church are here. If you want to pray over anything, we are available. Any member of this church would be willing to sit and pray with you together. Whether that's today, whether that's at this moment, or any time during the week, we are available for you.